Hi everybody, how are we? Coming to you live from Baltimore's Inner Harbor. This is lit. Pop. Bang. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with our format, we're a podcast, Lit Pop Bang. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're a books and pop culture podcast. Um, so we, what we wanted to do we, when, we, when we envisioned the podcast was just take the conversations we have with our bookish friends over drinks and do that in a podcast. Um, and that's why you have what we have here today. Um, yeah. We want to say thank you to City Lit Project. Um, to Boba and to Carla Dupree specifically hey, for having thank us. You, thank you so much for having thank us you. and bringing us live. Great. So the format of the podcast is we talk a bit about literature with some writers. We have some amazing writers here with us today. Um, and then we transition into talking about pop culture, what's going on this month. Um, and then we have a bang. And then we have a bang. Um, the bang is a wild card. It's a potpourri. It's something different than, than either books or pop culture. And neither of our guests know what the bang is for today, so that's Ooh. exciting. Oh, that's right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Right. Um, Surprise. Yeah, sometimes we give it to them. Uh, we didn't this time. Uh, we didn't. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes we drink. I did not drink today. I did not either. No. I'm too young to drink. Yeah, great. So. <laughs> you are. I think. Oh, we're This is a handful of sober lip pop bang. Yeah. Um, I think it's only two. Somewhere else we couldn't drink, and so it was a sober episode too. But. It was, but many of them are not sober. Many of them are not sober. Okay, great. Uh, we do. Um, <laughs> great. So I think we're gonna do some we're gonna do bios, and we're gonna get a conversation with our writers. So yeah. you wanna start? I'll start. Great. So, ladies and gentlemen, before us today, we have Ailish Hopper, whose bio I'm going to read here. She is the author of Dark Sky Society 2014, selected by David St. John as the runner-up for the New Issues Book Prize and the chapbook. Bird in the Head, 2005, selected by Jean Valentine for the Center for Book Arts Prize. Her individual poems have been everywhere, folks. Uh, Agni, APR, Blackbird, Harvard Review Online, Plowshares Poetry, and other places. In addition to page poetry, she performed with the band Heroes Are Gang Leaders, and her essays on art and literature that deal with race have appeared in the Boston Review, the Volta, and the Anthology, A Sense of Regard, Essays on Poetry and Race, as well as other places. She currently teaches creative writing and peace studies programs at Goucher College. She's a friend of mine. She has been an advocate for my work, and uh, I'm very great, uh, happy to have her here today, Ailish Hopper. Yeah, guess who? Thanks for right, And I have the lovely privilege of introducing Marin Wright Kerr, aka Lovey. Uh, Lovey is a newly appointed 2018 Baltimore Youth Poet Laureate at 17. She is the youngest to obtain this title. Um, Lovey is currently the 2018 Hyperbole Poetry Slam champion after competing against 70 youth poets for the title. It's her second year as a member of the Baltimore City Youth Poetry Team who are effing amazing, y'all. You should check them out. Um, as well as her first year becoming an international youth uh, slam champion with her team at Brave New Voices for their summer poetry festival, competing with over 500 youth poets from all around the world. She's currently a senior, is that still right? Yep. Currently a senior at Carver Center for the Arts and Technology as an acting major and is a Maya Baraka Summer Writer Institute alum, as well as a current teaching assistant. Levy has chosen to be part of her school's teacher-student equity team, enforcing respect and consideration for students of color in her high school hallways, which deserves its own applause. Yeah. 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 Lucy is not meticulously picking her throw out. You can find her painting, acting, and writing of a storm. Find her at Afrodelic, A-F-R-0, D-E-L-I-C, on any social media platform. Can you repeat that, please? 
A F R zero D E L I C. Put your hands together. Put your hands Love together you. for Lovey. Started, we always do bios, we read the official bios, and then we also ask our guests, is, is there anything you would like to add to your bios? Is there anything that people don't know about you? Do you garden? I don't know. Do you sculpture? I don't know. Uh, do you do anything interesting that's not included in your bio that you would like to yeah, add? Real life you, not just internet persona you. Right. Hmm. I'm trying to say, I like um, cartoons. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is my kids. I've got two kids, nine and 15. Great. Cool. Great. Awesome. You want to start questioning on me too? Sure, you go first. Cool. Great. Um, so I was lucky enough to attend the Youth Poet Laureate competition the last three years and to be a judge the last two years. So I get to hear some of the poems you want to slam with. Um, like a lot of spoken or poetry, those poems really center your identity as a woman, as a girl, as a black woman and girl, um, as a student. Um, and so I was just wanted to ask you, how do you see your identity and your many intersecting identities interacting with both your writing and the person you are when you're on stage? Hmm. So how, okay. So I definitely think that like my identity is directly like streamlined into my writing. Because of course, like what else am I going to write about other than the things that I experience myself? and like see happening every day. And definitely like um, one of the poems that I slammed with, it's called White Boy Magic. Right. It's yeah. like specifically from an experience I had from school that still makes me so angry to this day. What's that experience? Um, tell us, tell, tell so the listeners. There's this boy who, he doesn't go to my school anymore. And he like was going around calling people at my school the N word. And it was like, oh, no. nothing was being done about it. And so that's where like the whole um, student teacher equity team comes in. And like, I was there to make sure like we had like talks in the school and something was done. I like um, hosted protests in the school, stuff like that. Um, and then I just, when I'm really angry about something or like I feel some sort of like deep emotion, I can't do anything but write about it. And in order to like, it's a form of healing, I yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that poem, I remember a lot of the judges were really impressed with that poem, particularly mm -hmm. because it, it investigates a really personal experience with witnessing someone else's privilege protecting them which I think this week we can sort of really relate, a lot of us can really relate to, um, in a way that's so mature and thoughtful for high schoolers. A lot of times adults think high schoolers are and still developing, I don't get it, and, and you are still developing, we all are, right? But it's a poem that at 17 really got it. Um, it was really thoughtful uh, in navigating and relaying that experience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I have a follow-up question to that. Lovey, is there anything that um, that's a personal experience that you feel like you can't write about? Or do you feel like everything in your life is subject for you to, to write about and delve into in poetry? Well, I definitely think that, well, before I became YPL, there were definitely like things that I was just like, ooh, not going to touch that. And it was definitely like a lot of like mental health things and body image things that I was like kind of too scared to write about because I felt like if I was going to write something then I had to like perform it because that's what I've like been doing but sometimes like you can just write and then just like have it and just like look at it right. sometimes yeah. and like heal and I definitely like I've begun to actually write about the things and it's caused me to like 
grow as a person and be more in touch with my own emotions, yeah. which I love. I feel so much more like peaceful. <laughs> That's part of the healing part. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think we're going to switch to Ailish, then we probably after that have questions for each of you. So why don't you go ahead with your questions? Sure. So, Ailish, I'm going to ask a question that I'm going to actually read because it's kind of intricate, right? Yeah. Um, you have a decidedly different way about performing your poems. Um, for those of you in the audience who've never seen Ailish perform, perform before, um, she has an interesting pacing, also like a syncopation. She includes pauses into her work that's very um, deliberate, and I feel this interrogates listeners in a way that's different than people uh, straight normally reading their poetry. Um, so we know from history, past and present, that performance and the performative nature of poetry can often be a way of signifying that the work is either stage or page or black or white or any of these sort of dichotomies. So my question is, why do you perform your poetry in this particular way? What, what is your performance style and why do you do it? And what do you hope that folks who um, listen to your performance will take away from um, your performance of it? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question, especially because you're focusing on the performance and not the content. And right. the, the content, I was definitely thinking a lot about how I'm signifying and how white readers or readers and listeners who are raised to believe that we're white are gonna come at the material from a really different place than folk of color and in particular black folk. Because I was really writing about my experiences growing up in DC, which at that time was a black city, a mostly black city. Um, but the performance, you know, I guess my experience as a poet is that we all have music and poetry in our body that we're only just beginning to understand. And the work of a poet is to continue to evolve the ways we can bring that forth uh, in our poems and in our lives. And so not to get into the nature nurture thing, but some of that is what what is coaxed into us from our surroundings. And me, I grew up in D.C. I also grew up in Dublin. My mother is from from Ireland. and. Cool. I was raised by my mom and my grandmom, so in my house was Ireland and then outside was DC. And those are both very musical they cultures. Are. They are. Um, also shit-talking cultures. Can I say that? Trash-talking <laughs> cultures? Um, so, I, you know... In the best way. At, you know, at some level, I don't really know how much of that is choosing me when I'm performing and how much of that is me choosing, how much I'm consciously yeah. signifying or not. Um, but I do, when I think about the sort of, when we talk about poetry voice... You know, and there's like there's like a couple there's a limited range of poetry voices, I guess, that are out there. So I don't know if I'm unique or if I'm just trying to play around with some other kind of poetry voice. Trying to do something else. Yeah. yeah. I think you're I think you're unique and I think part of your answer in talking about Ireland and DC outside the go go culture of DC, which you've also written about in a way yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. and also Ireland and I, like you said they're both very musical cultures so I, I feel like maybe that's what is probably that's the partial answer for influencing how you perform and I'm just interested in that because I think it's um one way in which people think about stage versus page and you know and the performative nature of poems and whether or not um you know they're strictly for the page or strictly for stage so I think but there's there's another piece of it I think I mean I don't know that you were asking this, but there's a version of that question that is asking me if I'm trying to pass. Oh, no. No, I'm not I mean, No, I'm not. You're, you may not be, but I think it's right. a question that needs to get asked and needs oh. to get acknowledged because they're not neutral forms, right? Yeah. And so yeah. um, I guess the other thing in my experience growing up in D.C. Um, is, and not just growing up in D.C., but growing up asking questions about white supremacy, white identity, and what else is possible, is that understanding black art form, there's a difference between consuming black art forms and apprenticing oneself to what they point to, right? And so um, 
none of these are sort of neutral things. And I'm, and I'm curious about what else is possible for those of us who are raised to believe that we're white, you know, in our poetry forms, in life, you know, what, what else does that look like? Yeah. I think that actually sticks really well into my next question, which is really for both of you. And that's, how do you see the divide between the different poetry communities, plural, in Baltimore specifically, but also nationally? Um, and how do you fix that split? Because the split is often levels of education, levels of income, it's racial, um, it's location. Um, so how do you see that manifesting here in the city and nationally? What do you do to fix it? Or would you fix it? Is that something that needs resolved or there's something worthwhile happening because these communities have their own space? Or do you feel there's a yeah. split? Maybe yeah. maybe you don't maybe you don't feel that the poetry communities maybe there's not a split yeah. in your mind. Um, Should I go first? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I definitely feel that there is a split. Definitely like just growing up in like white schools. Like I go to school in Towson, yeah. and my mother she teaches at a, a Baltimore City alternative school called Yo Baltimore, and she. A lot of the times she will ask me to like go in and like do poetry for them and like do little talks and stuff and like write poetry together. It's really cool. And like just noticing the differences between those two schools, even when I just take the red like along the city, I can see where like the gentrification ends and like the black like cities begin. And it's really sad. Even like just last week, Baltimore County kids, we got laptops free laptops and my mother's school doesn't even have like enough desktops for all their students their desk the desk sizes don't even match and hmm there's both a positive and a negative to that I think because well a positive is that like these black kids they get to grow up like amongst themselves with people who agree with them about things they can like like the same music, the same like um, art and stuff like that. And they, they know what each other is talking about. Yeah. But the negative side to that is that we can't intermingle and everybody know what each other is talking about so we can like have more conversations. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's interesting because I, I really feel that's reflected like in the academy too. The academy mm -hmm. like the, po the poetic canon really being in a white tradition. Mm -hmm. And only now are we seeing how the it can there can be interactions with different traditions and different canons and different experiences. Only now is that making its way in the last ten years into you know higher ed, higher education. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you, Ailish? Um Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is I guess you can see the divide in a whole lot of different social spaces. You know, we can see it in high school. We can see it at community college, we can see it at college, we can see it at open mics, we can, you know, and there's a whole lot of different differences there, right? So um, there's uh, there's stylistic and aesthetic differences, yeah. there's different ways we hold poetry in our body, and there's different ways that we relate to sound and noise and silence and space and time, you know, and those are real and those are like beautiful and there's a spectrum there That's that's awesome. And then there's questions about resources and like who gets the laptops and who gets paid what to do your poems. Like if you get asked by a college to come and read, you can make like in the four digits, right? And if you get asked, you know, if you headline an open mic, that's a different, you know, so there's, so both things are kind of happening at the same time and it's not coincidental the way that they kind of neatly get divided up. Um, but the aesthetics are part of that, like part of how you get included in the places where there are access to resource is that 
you kind of narrow your aesthetic in certain ways, which is why some of the more recent developments in poetry are so exciting, where you see a lot of spoken word folk now starting to win awards, their, their books are winning, you know, and we're starting to see a little bit more of kind of hybrid forms happening in places where there's also access to resources. So I think that's kind of cool. And I, can, I think Baltimore will probably follow suit. Yeah, I'd like to find hope. So in the midst of uh, post-2016 America, you're, it sounds like, Ailish, you're saying that there's more of an intersection between the communities. You're saying that you're seeing more hybrid work, more spoken word or stage poetry be uh, in the mainstream or awarded. Is that, is that, is that, I'm kind of asking you, is that, if that's what you're sort of saying? Are you seeing, are you feeling optimistic? Like, are you feeling optimistic? I'm trying to be on my best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm serious. I'm trying to be yeah. on my best you behavior. You act differently when you're being recorded, right? <laughs> you do act differently when you're being recorded. Yeah, I'm, no, trying, I'm, I'm, asking, I'm, I'm asking you, are you feeling more optimistic in post 2016? Maybe not about America in general, but maybe are you feeling more uh, optimistic about about the poetry communities and the possibilities in which um, stage and page poetry are intersecting in some sort of way? I will say two things. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting ready to get told off. No. One is that all the organizers that I really admire say that there's always opportunity, even in the darkest or more cons most constraining of circumstances. And the second is that I really want to lift up the work that people are doing toward that end. And there's a lot of people in poetry land that are doing that. Yeah. And, and I'm on the record for the other. <laughs> um, you won't use the other more, you know, more essays coming that are along those lines, because I do think the shenanigans also need to get named very specifically inside of specific institutions, specific policies, aesthetics, and all that kind of stuff. But also, I don't want to bring us down here, but you know, that's because that's going on. It's going yeah. on. There's, yeah. I mean, look at. Give us an example. Okay, so Baltimore. Like, let's look at the, the different ways that poets who have jobs inside the academy here, are involved with the poetry world nationally versus Baltimore. Let's look at the ways that poets who teach who teach high school who are involved with young folk in Baltimore engage with the poetry world nationally versus locally. Right. So we yeah. see all kinds of differences there. Who has access to what resources? How are those being shared or not shared? Yes. Who is just making time? Who's making time or energy for their community and for one another and really listening in that way? Thank you, Carly. Yeah. yeah. That's all I like that answer. We yeah. just look around. That's all. Just look around. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not wanting to bring down is a good transition to the pop portion of the podcast. <laughs> um, so the other portion of our podcast, we talk about pop culture. What's going on? Entertainment, politics, whatever. Um, normally, for the podcast you're listening to, there's going to be like a... Transition music. There's none of that here. Um, I love that you're singing that. Yeah. yeah. What's this music like? One thing we're not going to talk about is the obvious thing that's happened this way, the Supreme Court hearings. It's probably going to be really triggering for a lot of people. We're not going to discuss that. It'd be rude of us not to mention it, though. Uh, instead, we're going to mention um, FORCE. Uh, it's an organization that's organized locally and working nationally to upset rape culture. They're currently raising funds. So if you Google FORCE upsetting rape, rape culture or the Monument Quilt, they're fundraising for the hype right now. Instead of mentioning the hearings, we're going to encourage everyone to check that out instead. Yeah, be a great a great antidote to what's going on absolutely, here in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. So on the list for this month, um, the Emmys. Yeah, we I don't watch them at all. 
I don't watch it. Yeah, I don't have the time to. Yeah, I don't want to do that. You're the only. No. I can't be the only person. No. Tell us. No. Tell us about your relationship to award shows. Um, I don't know. I occasionally watch them because there are stars on. I think the audience occasionally watches award shows. I don't know. Am I the only? The fashion. I I check out the fashion. Like the next day in my timeline. I check out. Oh, that's cute. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the show, the, the show, show. <laughs> right? You want, well, you want to see who's getting awarded and what? I mean, there has been an onslaught. I feel like of diverse shows coming into television and yeah, movies. I feel like that's one positive thing we can say about a maybe a post twenty sixteen world. But you know, I don't know. But it feels like um, some of those people are getting awarded. Um, Blackish, you know, Tiffany Haddish yeah. being awarded for SNL. I mean, yeah. there there are lots of um, things that I think are going on in popular culture culture on TV and in film that I feel like um, we should be excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't. <laughs> there are exciting things going on, and those being rewarded is awesome. I just don't. I don't get award. I don't get the appeal of award shows like rich people dressing up and clapping at each other. Like <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think I think diversity can be seen on multiple levels and multiple ways in the world. And so I think one way people yeah. sometimes yeah. understand what's happening in the world is what who's winning and who's not. Yeah, yeah, and we're having a moment where. People of color particularly, but a lot of people who haven't traditionally won yes. are winning. And the Fab Five was there, yeah, which we often sure. talk about on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Open invite, Fab Five. Uh, <laughs> any any opinion about award shows at all? Hmm. They kind of just make me angry because <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, the people I want to win barely ever do. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we can all just like like whatever we like. I'll spend my time watching what I'll watch. And I don't know, I'll like it whether or not it wins an award. I'll keep watching it. So they don't really like affect me that much. Is there anything, Marin, that you watch that you would love to be? I mean, is there anything that you watch in the contemporary culture, the te- television or, or, or film wise that you. I definitely, well, for the most part, I'm going to keep talking about cartoons because that's like, I really want to go into like writing for animation. Yeah. Awesome. I just love animation so much. So I feel like animation and like cartoons, it could be so much more than just like a random childish thing that people do. I really like I just want it to be brought to the forefront because it's art it really is it's art and then plus like um and then plus like really good writing yeah and the way I like to describe it is like I don't know it feels like poetry but with drawing which I love what cartoons are you talking about specifically um the one watch right now is like the amazing world of gumball steven universe those are my love them a lot of anime but I'm not gonna go into that yeah uh yeah (laughs) Yeah, oh. Steven Universe, I think a lot of you in the audience probably are into. Yeah. It's really celebrated for really talking about gender in complex ways and in ways that have been ignored. Um, and then the writer is a, a gender queer per- identified person as well, which is always really cool to see that sort of representation. Well, and also we, you're watching the awards show as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. So the artist is going to ask for something completely different. Oh, yeah. Because the awards show are basically about what sells. It's like a, it's yeah. kind of a different measurement, I think. And we as artists are like, we're looking for something that's artistically good, but also something that sells. I think one of the things that's interesting to me about award shows. Sorry, there's a dragon outside. <laughs> and that dragon is taking a long time leaving, but it is on its way. It's, it's like gone. some kind of lawn also, riding lawn. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying really hard not to comment on the fashion choice of the dragon's driver, because the hair is kind of a... But, oh, it's it's a, uh, like an uh, like early a, 2000 a emo hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You guys were checking it out. Um, <laughs> The thing that's interesting to me about award shows is the moments when people break from the script where something happens oh, and yeah. someone actually is kind of real. Yeah. 
That is always interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that Fiona Apple moment from the 90s. Um, does anyone remember that? Like, no. I just want to tell you <laughs> that this world is shit. <laughs> it's amazing. It's one of my favorite award show moments. Yeah. I don't watch award shows, though. How is it you say you don't watch award shows, but you remember, like, a super hyper-specific moment? The 90s. How did that happen? 90s culture. Oh, that's your era. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Oh, and then there was Sinead O'Connor ripping up, what was that thing about the church? Did she do that on award shows? Yeah, she called out the Catholic Church on award show. Wow. SNL. 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 Okay. Okay, okay cool. What else we got? Um, uh, yeah, no, I wanted to talk a little bit about Childish Gambino. Yeah. Oh. The new video. I love <laughs> the new video. Yeah, yeah. We have a good topic. Why do you love him? Why do you love him? Wow. He's just, he's my son. He's so talented, and I'm about to cry just thinking about it. I just love him so much, because he's, I don't know, he's a really good role model for me, because as someone who wants to do so much he really shows that like you can, you have the time, you can make music, you can make shows, you can do literally anything you want to do. And like, love him so much. Yeah, he's refusing to be set, you're a writer, you're an actor, yeah. you're a musician, he's doing all yeah. of it, yeah. 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 And every new thing he like creates is completely different from the last. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, well, that's actually one of the things I wrote down, right? Like everyone sort of in the audience caught This Is America early in the summer, but here at the end of the summer, he just released feels like summer and the video is just radically different um, than this is America um, it's an animated video and it's like a who's who of hip-hop yeah. past present future it's got everyone from like little pump amigos to like Will Smith being like an old dad washing his car yeah. like um, everyone in between my favorite <laughs> moment is of course Tessa Thompson and Janelle Monet being carefree oh, and in love in the video. It's, it's fantastic. Okay, yeah, that's cute, but uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about something. I, I like Childish Gambino to an extent, but there are two issues that I have with the, the uh, video. Feels like summer for those of you who have seen on, it. Go on, go um, on. Beyonce is in a Fredo, rest in peace, Fredo Santana sweatshirt, yeah. which I'm just like, you know, um, sort of thinking about the panel that we saw yesterday here on the City Lit stage and talking about um, black women and whether or not they're representing other black women. I'm yeah. wondering why he chose to put Beyonce in a rest in peace Fredo Santana sweatshirt. Um, that's interesting to me. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. The other yeah. second interesting choice is Michelle Obama yeah. in the video giving Kanye West a hug as he cries with a Make America Great hat on again. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, no, Michelle Obama should never be hugging uh, Kanye West. He's an idiot. I'm sorry for those of you who like him. He says dumb things. Um, I just think that, that, that it's interesting that he's putting these black women like as caretakers of, of the male industry. I think that's really important to yeah. think about yeah. and to see. You know what I mean? It's, I like him as an individual, but I'm not here for uh, the black women picking up the pieces while the black men screwed yeah. up at the backdrop. That's, I'm, that's, I'm just saying from the video. That's I'm just yeah, I, think that's, I don't have to agree. For me, I think that's what that moment is really about, right? How black women are asked to uh, comfort a lot of people. I think motherly roles for a lot of people who may be really fucking up, right? Right, but like, is it, but is it yeah. a critique or is it further pushing that stereotype? That, yeah, that, that's yeah. the question. I think that's one of the interesting things about Charles Gambino, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a lot of the stuff he's doing, they're questioning that, right? Like, is this uh, is this celebrating this thing or is it like setting up a critique of the thing? I think right. this is America. I think that, that that's sort of like the break in the sort of the black drop, all those things you happen. Yeah. You talk about happening, that yeah, sort yeah. of like uh, sort of interlude in the video. And people are like, how should I take this? Yeah, yeah I don't know yeah. what our panelists think. Well, I think that's like, I think that question is the whole purpose of mm. putting things right. 
like that in there because there's no set definition. Like even with yeah. This Is America, you can watch as many like analysis videos as you want, and he's like, there's still no set. This is what this means. This is exactly what I meant by putting this in there. And I think like being able to ask yourself what everything means is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I I have this feeling about him it's it's a gut feeling so it could be really wrong but that um he's actually in like a setup period like it feels like he's already done so much but I feel like he's setting up to something and also the thing I appreciate about his creative process there's this quote and I can't remember the name of the poet he's Norwegian and the quote was from like the 60s or something but he said poetry like wood shavings and he was talking about like uh, an approach to creating where you're just like doing the thing and the poems just sort of come out as you're doing it you're not focusing so so much on finishing everything you know and I I do see that in his process and I feel like there's a little bit of like an off-the-cuff almost improvisatory quality to what he's doing and that's why he I think sometimes like I, I would like him to center women and black women a little bit more I keep, thank you I keep kind of looking when I, when I see his work or listening for it but I also feel like we're actually kind of witnessing in a better way than maybe with Kanye. We're witnessing him just sort of work, you know, working this out and moving moving forward and on to stuff. I, I don't know if he's going to go, like, which way it's going to go. I wonder right. if in five years we're going to go, man, it, we were really thinking you were going to go that way. <laughs> when you went, I don't know, but I feel like there's some kind of... Like a child stumbling through its first steps. Well, I don't know. I, wanna, I don't want to care. No, 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 no. He's a scientist. I was trying to elevate the conversation. Are you trying to elevate? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I saw you trying to get me to co-sign your critique, and I was trying to, like, go... <laughs> right. No, no, no. No, no, no. You don't have to. Here at Lip Hop Bang, we accept all answers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more pop before we move on. Oh, yeah. Um... Ego Wodum. All y'all, Ego Wodum. She is the new player on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live debuted their new season last night. She's uh, from Baltimore. Interesting musical guest. Uh, you may have heard it was Kanye West who we've been talking shit about. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but really interesting is Ego Wodum is uh, a Baltimore native. She grew up here. Um, she's from here. She went to USC and she's an Upright Citizen Brigade alum. She's known for her minor roles in a few sci-fi flicks and then contemporary comedy things like Adam Ruins Everything and College Humor. Um, and last night, um, she joined the full-time cast. So as a player, you're a writer. Was she yesterday? Yeah, yeah, last she, night. Was she on? She won? Yeah, yeah, okay. she was on, on screen last night. She was uh, had writing credits on last night's episode. Um, and so, yeah, a Baltimore, black woman from right. Baltimore, um, filling a, a much needed gap on that's, Saturday Night Live. That's a very correct way to say it. SNL, yeah. SNL has been uh, yeah. uh, slightly go problematic. Go for it, go for it. No, go no, no, it. no, they've been slightly problematic for a while. So it's good, it's good that they're uh, extending opportunities, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's, what I, that's yeah. what I would say. Either you Saturday Night Live watchers? No? Occasionally. Yeah. Like, you're in bed by by like <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched it a long time. I obviously catch clips. I catch uh, clips. I caught right? last night. Yeah. People be like, you gotta check out X or Y. Yeah. 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 So you watch occasionally. Yeah. Right. Is there pre? Is there a preacher happening behind this? Is someone? Is someone yeah, giving a sermon in the back? Okay. I just I just wanted to know whether or not I was the only one hearing that. Yeah, Baltimore Book Fest is good for that. I saw a street preacher yesterday yeah. set up like by the food tent. Oh, yeah. Just get getting get the crowd it. where he could get it. Uh, Baltimore Book Fest is interesting. Yeah, it brings everyone. Before we move forward, last night, I do want to say, really sad. Last night was Ego's debut on Saturday Night Live. A little bit spoiled by, in the closing segment, Kanye came out wearing a MAGA hat. Uh, and then 
after this didn't happen on TV, but after the credits rolled, gave like this diatribe about what he's doing is just unity thinking, um, trying to bring people together. Um, it's sort of like a spoiler for this big moment for this Baltimore actors as media. All right, going to the last segment now. Again, there's normally a musical, musical interlude interlude. here. Um, listening audience, you'll get. Wait, Ian's gonna play. Wait, Ian's actually gonna. Yeah. He's at. He's... Yeah, but you, you can barely hear it. Thank you, Ian. Uh, right, we can barely hear it. Yeah. All right, bang. Uh, and we have we have a few minutes, so you can we'll give full answers. We thought we were worried this might be like a flash answer thing, but we can answer fully yeah. here, right? So all four of us, you can snap your fingers, change one thing about Baltimore, big or small. You can snap your fingers, change one thing about Baltimore, big or small. You're, you just heard this question, so we'll let you go last. You can think about it. Cece, why don't you start? Um, I don't have anything uh, really good. Like I don't know. I want eighty three to be a road that continues all the way through the city. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know, all the way up and all the way down. No, I don't. Um, I, there are things that's sort of silly. Um, I, there are things about Baltimore that I love. I think um, maybe Bookfest should be mandatory for every citizen in uh, Baltimore. That's what that's that's what I'm gonna say. That's my one thing, small, bigger, small yes. that I'd like to change about Baltimore. Yeah. Cool. Interesting thing about eighty three. The original plans for eighty three took it over the harbor. So it's actually good that it terminates where yeah. it does, because if you look at old plans, that highway just continues over and into over here, sort of east of Fed Hill, which would be like, for those who are in transportation and how it's like a social justice issue, is a nightmare. Would have been a nightmare, so. But I still want it, whatever. Yeah. My one thing is also transportation related, we're nerds. Oh. Um, Mine is uh, the red line. So for those of you who don't yeah. know, um, there's a long-standing plan for to expand our light rail system. It yep. is an east-west route um, called the red line. A lot of time and activism was invested into making it happen. So they organized a way to match federal funds to state funds. And then we got a new governor, Larry Hogan, a few years ago, who just said, no, uh, we're not going to do that. Um, and I think that would have really transformed Baltimore in a lot of ways along uh, racial justice and economic justice lines that we don't have. And so just one one small thing that I could change that we have the red line. Oh, no, I wasn't ready yet. What's the way to you? Uh, can we? Can I go last? Yeah, Ailey, yeah, so you can go last. Um, I'm gonna borrow from my uh, my collaborator Lester Spence, who always says that the most radical thing we could do is pay taxes. Um, and so uh, there's a giant nonprofit uh, in this town that, if it was paying taxes, would be able to fund a whole lot of stuff. A university here, and also um, there are a lot of wealthy people that don't pay taxes. That if they were paying taxes, we could fund a whole lot of stuff. I've, Probably first thing I would find is education, but the first thing that actually occurred to me when you asked that was, could the buses please be on time? Yeah. 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 That that made that I mean, that was like the first thing that kind of, I mean. Also when, transportation related. Just yeah. transportation, yeah. Transportation. Just like, could we, could we get around the city? Could we yeah. actually get around the city? Could people get to jobs on time without spending, you know, an hour and a half or two hours on the bus? Yeah. But I like what you said about paying taxes. I think that's a really important, that's the, yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah I think uh, uh, last summer I got the opportunity to teach a community studies class to high schoolers in Baltimore for college credit. Um, and one of our four themes was transportation. And even, even at, at like 15, 16, a lot of these students, they already saw the way that transportation's tied to a lot of the problems in Baltimore, sure. whether it's buses, yeah. whether it's a lack of a, a, a rail system, a lot of those things. You know. Okay, I'm finally ready. Go for it. Okay, so I'm gonna. Mine isn't about transportation. Good, I'm sorry. Good. Yes. <laughs> um, but mine would probably be to. I would snap my teacher. I would snap my fingers and make teachers 
care more Oof. about their Oof. students. Um, either just like on one teacher at a time or like changing the whole curriculum. Especially, well, I was talking to my mom about the way English is taught in schools and it really angers me. Especially like being a stubborn person, even though like I love, love, love to read. It just annoys me when I'm forced to, and it makes me not want to read the books that are assigned to me. And, like, there'll be good books, too. Like, I'm reading the, um, I'm supposed to be reading The Handmaid's Tale in English right now, and it's just the way she teaches it, it angers me. Because, again, about, like, the um, whole, like, analysis and interpretation thing. There, like, she makes it so there's only one way to, un- to like, analyze a text. And if you don't analyze it that way, then you're wrong and you're stupid. And, hmm, yeah, I, I would just make teachers, like, care more about the individual students. Yeah, that's a good answer. And think yeah, about the way in which they're teaching texts. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really what you're saying. That, yeah, the myopic way in which some professors or yeah. teachers look at texts is a little constraining. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. made it sound so much smarter. <laughs> what you say? You made it sound so much smarter. No, 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 no. Oh, you said it. No, I'm just proud. It's that word text. I'm, yeah, yeah, text. Yeah, yeah. I'm repackaging. That's a, that's a English text. teacher jargon when you say text like that. Yeah, or analysis, or I don't know, whatever. But we're running out of time, so we yeah. want to leave at least a little couple minutes before we break down here for any of the audience to ask a question or two to any of our panelists uh, here at Lip Pop Bang. We'd love if anyone had a question for either of our, our lovely poets. Yeah, we have a question. Over here, yeah. Um, question for poet laureate. Have you ever been in an English class where a professor or a student said you speak well for black She's asking, has has Lovey ever been said by a teacher or a student, you speak well for a black woman? Have you ever been told that? Um, Well, in short, yes. And in long, um, I... It really sucks. It's happened to me from like teachers, from white students, and like, in not such a clear way, but from black students as well. And especially when like I tell people like I do poetry, they're like, oh, like that like Shakespeare um, stuff. And I'm like, mm, okay. And like a- anytime I use like big SAT words or anything like that, it's really annoying and like my black friends would be like oh like why are you taking AP classes or whatever and hmm, especially when I like give my thoughts on like literature and things we're reading my teachers will be like they don't necessarily say it because they don't want to seem like racist but um, <laughs> um, it's like on their face yeah yeah, we had a panel just before ours that was articulating a similar thing of yeah, like being young black poets and being told from from their black communities, like, oh, you're into white stuff by being a poet, right? Mm-hmm. And then white people never accepting them because they're black. Yeah. yeah. That was a great question, MC. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, yeah, I think that's all the time we got. Thank you all so much for coming out. Listen to us on where you listen to podcasts at Lit Pop Bang. And as always, coming from Charm City, this has been Lit Pop Bang. Thank you. I love saying it. Lit Pop Bang. I know.